0: You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. My name is Joe Francis, and I am blessed to be one of your elders here at Elevation Community Church. Woo! So this morning we're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. So if you will turn in your Bibles to chapter 6 or on your phone apps to chapter 6 of Ephesians, we're going to discuss our topic of God's church and our response. This is the conclusion of our series. Now this topic, and really this book, is meant for the church the local church and the universal church. And we can see how the local church truly benefits from God's incredible wisdom. Now, we'll touch on a few of the topics from the previous chapter, chapter 5, and we'll conclude with the text in chapter 6 today. But let's get started with Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants. whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Father God, this is your word. It is so good. Let us learn from it, Father. And Father, let us only hear what you will want us to hear this morning. Let us filter out everything else that is not from you. Bless this body, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verses 1 and 2 are for children, but it is addressing children with their parents. So now let's back up for a moment to chapter 5 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 22 and then going forward. This is the section that instructs us to being husbands and wives. Husband and wife are a union between two people. A union between a man and a woman and nothing else. And it is a spiritual union between the man, the woman, and God. This is the way it started out in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. A man and a woman and a union with God. And Ephesians 5 addresses a few of the duties of these roles that we've been given. First, let's start out with wives. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Uh Uh-oh. There's the S word. I said it. I said it. Okay. Okay. But now, rather than me speaking about something which I will never experience, I'm going to rely on my wife's favorite author on this very topic, Elizabeth George. In her book titled, A Woman After God's Own Heart, she says the Bible outlines four responsibilities for wives, helping, submitting, respecting and loving. About submission, she calls out this same topic is also addressed in Colossians 3, Titus 2, and 1 Peter 3. She states that wives are on assignment from God to submit to their husbands. That submission is something. All Christians do for each other, as instructed by God. And this is part of his created order in the marriage relationship. It does not mean that husbands get to bark out orders or ignore the wife's counsel. It means the wife provides more than an opinion. That her thoughts and words have incredible value in the marriage relationship. Submission, according to my wife, is freeing because the husbands are responsible to God. So, ladies, please understand this text correctly. It is not demeaning or irrelevant. It's about God's order in the marriage relationship. And it can be freeing in your lives. And please be patient with your husbands. Communicate and encourage. Share ideas and dreams. Work together with your husbands. You and your husband are a team together. As wives, you are highly valued. And marriage simply would not have godly advantages without your godly participation. Husbands may be responsible to God in His order, but we're both in this together. We're both in this together. Okay, guys, did you hear it? We are responsible to God. We can spend a lot more time on the topic of wives, but let's now move on to the husbands. Husbands are called to love their wives. As Christ gave, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Jesus is compassionate. He's understanding. He's a listener. He's a protector. He's a teacher. He is so much more for his church. Jesus did not demean, he did not ridicule, he did not beat into submission or degrade the church, and neither should any husband with his wife. Guys, we're the spiritual leaders of our homes. It's absolutely countercultural and totally against what the world wants us to do. But when you do it as God asks you to do it, it will be an incredible marriage and family that the world will be unable to match with any of their ideas or alternatives. So, guys, we need to step up to the plate, be a man. Yes, it's a thing. Be a man. That means do manly things and model it for your children and other children. Be compassionate, a good listener. Seek your wife for ideas. Praise her, help her, and protect her. Be prepared to present her without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be a holy, be holy and without blemish, just as Jesus is presenting his church. Now briefly, for those men and women who are single, the unmarried, the widowed, the divorced, although these passages speak to married couples, you too still have amazing value to God and his local church. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. <laughs> so if you are married or if you're single, Use the position that God has given you to God's glory. Marriage is good. The point of including this text about marriage when Paul is speaking to the church is to show God's creation has order. God is a God of order. Everything works better when it follows God's order. Pay attention here. We all have roles in the church. And in marriage, we also have roles. Now, which is why in chapter 6, he is addressing children who are to honor their parents. And then back to husbands, as part of your responsibility, do not provoke your children which simply means do not make them angry, do not offend them, do not cause them to be enraged. But when we are all submitting to God, nobody should be provoking their children, husbands or wives. Husbands, you are responsible to God. Wives, you are responsible to your husbands. Children, you are responsible to your parents. There is not equality in these roles, meaning that everyone has identical responsibilities. Rather, these roles complement one another in God's perfect creation. And this is an example to the church. The elders are responsible to Jesus. The leaders are responsible to the elders. And the congregants are responsible to the leaders and the elders. This is perfect order in God's perfect creation. But thinking of our culture again, what does the world want us to do? The exact opposite of all of this, of course. So according to the world, marriage should not be between one man and one woman. We should go into debt and spend our money on our personal pleasures. And I should always think of myself, my desires, and my happiness before anyone else. Of course not. Of course not. That's not how God wants it. This is the opposite of God's design. And the next verses that we read have also been used to justify something that is the opposite of God's design. Slavery. While it's easy to look at these verses about masters and slaves as employer employee relationships, we've got to address the elephant in the room. These verses were dynamite in 1860 United States, just before the Civil War. That is, some used these verses to say that Paul did not condemn slavery when he had the chance to do so. So slavery, according to these verses, was okay. Well, that's twisting it just just a little bit. You see, as I've read in history, slavery during Paul's time in the Roman Empire was very, very different from slavery in the United States during the Civil War. In the United States during the Civil War, slavery was purely racial. People were forcibly taken from their countries. They were transported like cattle and brutally condemned to hard labor for life. It's a sin that we've paid for many times over through the Civil War. We can't take back or turn back the clock and no amount of money or reparations will ever take away what was done. Only forgiveness and reconciliation to move forward and recognize all people as children of God, regardless of their skin color. This will give us healing through Jesus Christ. At Elevation Community Church, our skin color is a glorious reminder of how God created us, and people of every color are welcome to worship our Savior here. But in Paul's Roman Empire of the day, slavery was very, very different. It was not based on race. And people entered slavery through a number of ways, including force, but also through birth or even volunteering to improve their social or their economic status. You see, it's estimated that approximately one-third of the Roman empire were slaves. One third of the Roman empire. That would be equivalent to about 115 million people in today's United States. 115 million. That's a lot of people. Slaves were managers of banks. They were heads of households. They were cooks and they did all sorts of jobs. Yes, some of those jobs were awful. And many provided livings for their entire family. It wasn't the best of societies, and it wasn't the best of cultures. But oddly enough, there were opportunities built into the system for several. Part of that opportunity was buying a way out of slavery, buying freedom, saving money, and moving on and starting a new life. Paul was not endorsing slavery of the 1800s. And he didn't condemn it here, likely because the point of this text was not for social change, it was for heart change. In fact, Paul does condemn slavery in a different text elsewhere. In 1 Timothy 1, 8-11, we read, Now we have known that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, and the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, there it is, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. You see, Paul does condemn brutal slavery among the list of other sinful behaviors. So now, As we look at Ephesians 6, verses 6 through 9, let us think of the topic as it was written, for masters and for slaves. Slaves are to obey their masters as they would obey Christ. And masters are to stop their ungodly behavior towards their slaves and also act as Christ. These directives are mind-blowing in the time of the day. If, If masters and slaves both started to operate this way, what in the world would happen to slavery? These are shifts in our heart attitudes that even we can use today. If we are owners, if we are employers, or if we are employees, our work, which is good, is best when our hearts are working for Jesus Christ in all that we do. Okay, now this brings us to the point of obedience. If anyone calls you to be ungodly, obedience does not apply. Titus two eleven and 12 says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If someone asks us to do something ungodly, we're supposed to renounce it or reject it. So we've got to remember those kinds of things. Now, as a church, we're given a very well-known directive to put on the armor of God. We often think of Paul being in prison when he wrote this passage and looking at a Roman guard with the full armor on. But I like what other writers have pointed out about this topic, that Paul is likely using Old Testament language to make his point. Listen to Isaiah 11.5 about the prophecy of Jesus. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And this also from Isaiah 49.2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. Paul is using his training here in Scripture to tell us as Christians that we will be doing battle. But battle against who? We're going to be doing battle against the devil. Okay, stop just for a minute. Let's forget all of the ideas we have about the devil from books, from movies, and even Halloween. We're not talking about a physical creature hiding in the dark with a grotesque body and some handheld weapon. That is not what we're talking about. Nor is the devil an excuse for any of our own personal choices, as in, the devil made me do it. Remember that one on the shoulder, both sides? He didn't make you do it. But Satan and demons are very, very real. They have no physical body. They cannot read our minds. And they can only be in one place at a time. However, they masterfully trick us. They deceive us. They disguise their activities as light and they deceive the church. Now, we spent more than an hour and a half on this topic in our Going Deeper discussion group this past Monday, so there's a ton we can talk about here this morning, but we won't be able to cover it all. But let's know something about how we should do battle against Satan and demons. It's called spiritual warfare. Our armor of God is of God. And this is his armor. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Get an amen. So we need to read our Bibles and understand each component. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of your feet, having put on the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. But we tend to put our emphasis on these pieces of armor. And it's not the pieces of armor that is our emphasis, but it's what the armor represents that's our actual emphasis. Let's read it again. Truth is Jesus. Righteousness is our position as a believer, how God sees us. The gospel of peace is what we need to verbally tell others about. Faith, you've heard this one before from the book of Hebrews, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Salvation is the understanding of our eternity with Jesus. And the word is something we all must read in order to be used. The armor is knowledge in our minds. It's about what God has given us, and we need to understand it. And when we do, we confidently, with verbal words, because demons cannot read our minds, we pray them away. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Spiritual warfare is not magic and it's not weird. It's real. Spiritual warfare is not frightening or scary. It's prayer. And spiritual warfare should not hold us back. It should advance the kingdom of God. So while all evil is not from Satan and demons. Some can be. When you and maybe other believers have determined a need to rebuke evil in the confidence of the Holy Spirit, speak a word of Scripture, a word of Jesus, and a command for the evil ones to depart and be gone. And don't give them a foothold. To come back because our ungodly choices may be giving them an opportunity to come back into our lives. Okay. Now, for the church, Paul says in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He brings it back to the church. You see, church family, Ephesians is for the church. It's for us and it's about us. This is what we are supposed to do as believers. And that's it. There's a little more in the chapter, but that's the thrust of it. And that's a lot. We have gone through a whole lot. We've come to the conclusion now of our series, God's Church, Our Response. This is a look at Ephesians and our church family. So why did we even do this in the first place? Why did we choose the book of Ephesians? Why did we go through all of this for our church? First, we are transitioning our local church. Prayerfully into the church God calls us to be in Scripture, and we need to know what it looks like. Second, because we want to operate the church as God asks us to do. Now, the elders and all of us will be more involved in the day-to-day activities of Elevation Community Church, and we wanted us to understand this topic better. And lastly, we wanted to teach the pure word of God and how we're supposed to be living As individuals, in order to be the church. So, I said a couple of weeks ago, each of us in the church are a reflection of the church and of Jesus Christ. The church reflects us because we all are the church. But the reflection is not our objective, our objective is to be more like Jesus Christ. And once we do that, we are reflecting Jesus Christ and the church from us naturally. So, you have now gone through six chapters of Ephesians. You've heard six sermons addressing ECC and the local church. And you should have six email summaries from the elders giving you more content to consider and pray about. Six chapters, six sermons, and six email summaries. Okay, we're talking about spiritual warfare. That is not the number (laughs) 666. That's six and six and six. (laughs) Don't be deceived. Okay, use these resources. Use these resources and read and reread your Bible always. There is no better resource. So we have covered so, so much in the past couple of months. It probably feels like you drank Scripture and all these teachings from a fire hose. We learned about being chosen, God's sovereignty and providence. Check. Check. We've learned about being saved and why it's important. Check. We've learned about the mystery of God's faithful coming together as the church. Check. We've learned about imitating God from Dennis last week. Check. And we've learned about living and behaving as Christians. Check. Any one of these topics could be a sermon series in and of itself, and so many other topics from the book of Ephesians. But our focus here is about the church, God's universal church, and especially the local church here at ECC. I'd like to call back the band, please. Let's take a look at what God's church, our response, summarizes to be. God's church is made up of believers in Jesus Christ, expressed in the local church we call our church home. Our response as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. We should understand how we have been saved and why. These were the early chapters of Ephesians that we got into. Next, God's church consists of broken people, made new with a new identity in Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, you have a new identity. You are no longer associated with that old identity, although it still might be within you. Your personal behaviors of Christians should be more like Christ every day, and believers should reject the ways of the world and the lies of demons. God's church is meant to be a community of believers devoted to Jesus. Christians worship together, serve each other, and live life with each other seven days a week. Believers are to be participants in the local church. Okay, now, if you're visiting with us today or watching online and you are looking for a church home, I pray that you will consider Elevation Community Church. Please talk with us and ask your questions. For those of you who have already been attending ECC and prayerfully call ECC your church home and your church family, I want to call your attention to this last line. Believers are to be, nope, the one before that, believers are to be participants in the local church. If you have been convicted of the gospel, that we are sinners and that we need a Savior, that Jesus died for our sins and is our Savior, and that we acknowledge this free gift from God, given to us out of his immense love, then we are Christians. Together, we are Christians. I pray this morning that all of us in the room are Christians. And if this is your first time that you thought about accepting this gift, please speak with us and we'll help you make more sense out of it. We are a church family. As Christians, we are participants in the local church. We are not spectators. And this means that Everybody has a role. Everyone should be doing something to help out. Serving together creates friendships. It identifies needs, and it grows God's kingdom. It's this topic, discovering our roles and serving in our church, that we will focus on in our next series that will start in January, which we are calling God's church, Our Roles. Let's pray. Father God, you've given us so, so much, but you've taught us about the church, the universal church and the local church. You've taught us how we have come about how that church came about. It's your mystery that has been revealed. You have given us so much from your word. And then you taught us how we are supposed to behave, how we are supposed to be reflecting you to others. Because this is all the church, Lord. This is how you want us to live and who you want us to be. Father, and then you taught us about the roles that we have as husbands and wives, as children, and what we do in the world, countering our culture, Father. You teach us about all of these things. Let us remember these things, Father. Let us ponder them. Let us Live according to your ways as the local church. And God, let us grow spiritually together. Work together on the church, knowing that it's not just the few that are working in the church, God, it's all of us. We need everybody. So help us, Father. Bless this time, Father. Continue us in your word as a church family. We love you, Father, and thank you. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.